Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Flatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Tracy L. Flatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I am really happy and grateful that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you're having fun. I created the show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers, and the chat room is open, so log in and say hi. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or if you'd like to have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at tracy at tracylflatten.com, and that's tracy is spelled T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some wonderful guests are coming on. Next week on Thursday, December 17th at 1 p.m., actress and author Victoria Pratt will talk about wrangling the arts. You may know her from a whole slew of TV shows, and you'll hear about her new book, too. On Tuesday, December 22nd, excuse me, which is a special day for independent artists and thinkers because of the holidays, musician Christabel of the Australian group Kinder Jazz will be on to talk about unlocking your child's genius by exposing them to the right kinds of music. And specifically, Kinder Jazz, they bring jazz and big band music to kids. So how cool is that? So tune in and keep checking the website, the Blog Talk Radio show page, and also independentartistthinkers.com to find out who will be on the show. I am really delighted today to have author and creative producer, Yvonne Lee Blyne on to talk about her imminent novel, and I guess it's already available, and about being a catalyst for creativity. And we're going to ask her a few questions about Scrabble, too, because I was a player um, at home and stuff. Yvonne Lee, Yvonne Lee Blyne is a poet, raconteur, and creative producer who thrives on being a champion, compass, and catalyst for others as they define and realize their dreams. 
After playing a triple word score role at the National Scrabble Association for several years, Yvonne launched Liebline Associates LLC in 2003 and has provided dozens of businesses with branding inspiration, results-driven strategies, and innovative marketing solutions. She continues to collaborate with artists and entrepreneurs via one-on-one coaching workshops and speaking engagements. The Wheelhouse Cafe, Yvonne's debut novel with Songscape, is is available in a lot of forums, so um, we'll talk more about that. You can find out more about Yvonne at YvonneLeblin.com, and you spell Leblin, L-I-E-B-L-E-I-N. Yvonne, welcome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great you're here. So I'm going to jump right in with the question I like to ask to kind of get my listeners situated, and that is tell us how you got started. How did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in writing books and developing creativity and merging books with music? Were the arts a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So talk about your childhood and lead up till now. Okay, that's a great question. Um, I think I I knew I wanted to be a writer really from the time I started writing. I was always a storyteller. Um, I was raised by my mom and my sister and I and my mom lived together and my grandmother would watch us and I would often sit on a little stool in her kitchen and like just tell her story after story. You know, this is like at age four. And she would start saying to me, Yvonne, you're going to be a writer when you grow up. You have to wait till you can write these things down. So I think between my mom and uh, my grandmother and also lots and lots of the teachers that I had who were just wonderful, um, my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Cole, had us writing stories literally every day we wrote a short story. And we wrote wow. plays and puppet shows. And my best friend from childhood, Eleanor Richmond, she and I, you know, we were making paper, paper mache puppet masks and doing performances. So I always knew I wanted to do it. But what I, when I think about this question, um, I realize my idea of what a writer's life would be like and what I would be doing is so different than, you know, what's happened to me over the last 20 years. I went to college to be a creative writing professor. That's what I thought my path would be because I wanted to make sure that I had um, a reliable income to to give me the freedom, the headspace to um, pursue my writing. And um, so that's what I did. I went to school for that. And very mm-hmm. soon after, you know, while I was in the middle of my master's program, I came back to my hometown where I, I actually live now in Greenport. We're on the very um, end of Long Island on the North Fork. And I was lucky enough to begin working with the National Scrabble Association that was based here for many, many years. And I kind of stumbled into public relations, marketing, branding, and strategy, um, and just interacting with so many remarkable people. Um, We had a school Scrabble program where over a million kids were playing Scrabble in schools. We had a a program for the Literacy Volunteers of America which is now pro-literacy worldwide, where they raised money to support adult literacy using Scrabble. We had tournaments and for adults, and it was just so rewarding. I didn't even know what it was, but I loved it. And I realized that there was something about the, um, the solitary aspect of being a writer that uh-huh. was a little bit of a barrier to me. I mean, you have to. You have to eventually, at some point, put your rear end in a seat 
and get it done. Like that's for any artist. Eventually there comes you're, that time. Right. Right. Eventually <laughs> you're alone with your either typewriter, computer, pad of paper and your thoughts and eventually you have yeah, to do and that. You, and you have to make you have to make that happen. But for me I realize, you know, I think I want more of this. I want more of this just meeting all kinds of people all the time. You know, just kind of uh, cemented for me that at heart I'm a people person. And so my um, realizing my dream of being a writer was just going to take um, a different path. And I, I think I was conscious of it in the way I'm saying it, but I still had no idea how it was going to unfold. And basically, after I transitioned from working with Scrabble to starting my own branding, marketing, communications company, and I had just I got the, had the privilege of working with just remarkable um, team and clients, and all of this was happening. It, it reminded me of um, just how lucky you can be to be able to have access to other people's stories, too, and seeing how they all relate, you know, and just no matter how different people are, I think of that a lot now in terms of a lot of the very um, stressful things and um, that are going on in the world, you know, at mm-hmm. the heart of humanity, the, those common ties, those threads that we all share about what matters to us, you know, as a, as a human being, um, you know, I think that's one of the things about being a storyteller is, you know, really listening to um, the spaces between relationships and what people are saying and doing to try to pull those out and illuminate them so that um, we all can be reminded of that and inspired by it in some way. So as I moved on, um, I had my company going for, uh, you know, about six or seven years and then really took a bold shift that, uh, was very difficult for me because I loved what I was doing, but I wasn't able to c- protect my creative headspace enough to do what I knew I really wanted to do, which was uh, kind of be a philanthropy of a philanthropist of spirit, a creative philanthropist. You know, really help people who are creative, um, whether that be I don't mean just artistically creative, but creative uh, in their lives, entrepreneurs, artists. Uh, give them tools to make their lives, their daily lives, more fulfilling and uh, productive and help them realize their dreams, but also have more time for my own creative work. And, you know, the way that my life was structured with clients and travel and, you know, working with um, a team of of, uh, staff that worked with me, it wasn't happening. So I switched over to becoming more of a consultant and putting in teams as needed. And right about that time is when... I um, wrote the first draft of my novel, and you know, it's it's I've written other uh, lots of short stories, and I'm I'm a poet, lots of poems, drafts of partial novels, uh, but this novel I did something new, and I um, I don't know if you're familiar with NaNoWriMo. November is uh, National Novel Writing Month, and we're going back seven years now, Tracy. So. Uh huh. Uh, I wrote this book seven years ago. <laughs> Literally finished it, the first draft, November 30th of 2008. It's really kind of hard to believe when I say it out loud. But um, the goal is you write 50,000 words in the month of November. So you mm-hmm. have a rough draft. And for me what it did was it unlocked just this, not just the momentum. Um, you know, I didn't start editing what I'd written the day before, which is something I would tend to do because I would, you know, get caught up then in rewriting instead of forging ahead. So that was good. I wrote 675 words a day 
Uh, I think there was one day that I missed and had to make it up. But other than that, like, I made sure I did it. And which, when you get going, isn't very much, you know, once you get in the groove. But the thing I learned is when you write in that way, it frees you. It frees your mind. You're not feeling confined by outlines or even like um, making sure there are no holes in the plot or, you know, a character with a, you know, that's underdeveloped or missing something. You're just writing your ass off. You are writing as much. You're just capturing what's coming through you and you're getting it down. And knowing that at the end, you're going to put it aside for a while and then you can come back to it and you're going to rework it. You know you're going to do that. So it kind of frees you up to, um, to write. And mm-hmm. there are so many things in this novel that were born from that spirit of not uh, – I didn't even know or care if they were going to stay in the book or not. I just did it, and it kind of allowed those sparks to fly. So I wrote my novel um, just as my company was changing shape, and um, that's kind of how I got to this last you know, seven years of my life where I've been kind of uh, figuring out how this novel was going to be – delivered to the world and make that happen, Mm -hmm. as well as kind of redefine my professional life in terms of um, the other work that I do. Well, tell us about the Wheelhouse Cafe. What are the origins of a novel with a songscape? So talk about that songscape. I'm fascinated by that. And also, you know, tell my listeners about how it's available, where they can find it. Give us all the news. Okay. So... Today is just such a great day, and you know, as I was waiting for you to call me, Tracy, I just could, I could literally feel just gratitude coursing through me because I feel like um, the last seven years I have been carried along by the support and just like the cheering section of so many people in my life, people who are very close to me, friends and family, but also just people that I've met and just rooting for me and, you know, saying it's going to happen. And, you know, it's happening. And the fact that we're talking today, um, the book is going to be available next week. There, it's, going, it's going to come out in hardcover, paperback, and ebook simultaneously. Um, so it looks like the distributor has the hardcover um, up on Amazon right now, uh, but the others, the other two formats will follow shortly. Um, sometimes they don't all show up at the same time, and um, that is really exciting because uh, that's there. And then booksellers will be able to order it. You know, bookstores will be able mm-hmm. to order it from uh, IngramContent.com, so they'll be able to get it. But the way that mm-hmm. it started, I've always, I love music so much that I have been creating soundtracks for pretty much everything in my life, moments in my life, memories that I have, all these different things I frame within a musical context. And when I was in sixth grade, so I'm like 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, uh, disco music was becoming a a thing that was going to be here to stay. You know, it wasn't just a passing thing. And then that Mm -hmm. was evolving into hip hop rap and, you know, onward. So I was a rock and roll girl. And when you talk about how I was raised, um, I played instruments. I played uh, the saxophone, the clarinet, the piano. I was in musical performances in the school, all of these things. Um, But the albums that were in our um, 
music closet were the Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, and One More from the Road, um, Almond Brothers, like all these rock and roll Class, rock. Um, things that I just, classic songs, I love, I still do. I mean, I love all genres of music, but I just have this, you know, I'm a rock and roll girl. So I wrote this novel called Rock and Roll Rebel about a teenager who moves to a school district where no one likes rock and roll, where she's kind of being left behind, and it's kind of a coming-of-age story about, you know, all kinds of things. But what I would do is I would record snippets from the radio on my little cassette player that I had, one of those flat, you know, um, Mm -hmm. vertical-shaped ones, and then I would imagine where those songs would fit into the book and that wouldn't it be great if someone had this, you know, a cassette tape that they could a mixtape. I mean, I was making mixtapes all the time. I think most of us were for different occasions. So that the idea of pairing um, a book and music together just seemed very natural to me. And when um, my husband, Josh Horton, and I got together, he had been an ocean-going tugboat captain for some time when he was in his 20s, and he's a musician. And he told me this story of... Um, well, first of all, he was out there before technology kind of mm-hmm. invaded that space. So no email, no cell phone. When you were out at sea, even if it was just in New York Harbor and you might live in Brooklyn or, you know, Manhattan, you mm-hmm. were disconnected from life. Mm-hmm. And he told mm-hmm. me about how lonely that feels, like to be so close to home, but you're like, you know, for two or three mo- weeks at a, at a time, you're disconnected. Mm-hmm. He would get on to the Marine Radio and he would um, say, tune into Channel 68 for the Wheelhouse Cafe, tie off that little mic with a rubber band and hang it from a spotlight handle and then sing, play the guitar and sing into this radio, into the harbor. And I, when he told oh, me that's that, cool. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Did anybody hear you? And uh-huh. he was like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And that got me. When he said, I don't know, and you think about as an artist, well, not back up, as a person, what it means to be heard and understood Heard, number one, that someone actually hears you, but to understand and connects with you, whether or not you're meeting in person, is like one of the most precious gifts ever. And it's kind of the core of existence is like you are connected. So that, that he didn't know, but that he still did it. He played his heart out. He sang his heart out. I, this, I got this idea. I said, well, could a woman have heard you? Like, could a woman actually tune in? Like, I'm imagining sort of this, mm-hmm. you've got male perfect storm in the bedroom stories in my mind. I had this right, story right. about about um, saving a little boy from a, a domestic abusive situation. And I was thinking to myself, how could I tie this love story in and wouldn't this be great? And he said, well, if someone had a marine radio on the East River, I guess they could, but why would a woman have a marine radio in her apartment? So that question was the genesis of the adventure love story, The Wheelhouse Cafe, which mm-hmm. I went through the faded chartreuse record books that my husband would keep on the boats, and he wrote lyrics in them. And I wrote the song. The songs, I wrote the book informed by the songs. So to me, uh. they're, they're inseparable. Like you, if mm-hmm. you read my book without the music, you are not getting it. You are not experiencing the book because it is their, uh, they're paired together to take you to that emotional place where this, a character that is a tugboat captain resides, well, how but also people, the, the landscape. How are people who are reading in a hard, uh, I know the book is coming out in hardcover and also paperback, right? So how are people reading that going to hear the music? 
Is well, there a the, CD the, in it, or are they supposed to go online while they're reading and listen? Yeah. Well, the way the way that um, you experience it is going to be uh, very user defined. Meaning, some people hate listening to music when they read. So you can listen to it before or after. You can listen to the whole thing before or after, however you like. Some people will want to have it on in the background as they're reading. Every chapter, there are 11 songs. One of them is Amazing Grace. The other, there are 10 songs. One is Amazing Grace, and the other nine um, were written by my husband. Every chapter, it's noted, and you see the lyrics where the song fits in. So you might want to pause. Where you get the music is something that evolved with this project that I think if it hadn't taken seven years, this wouldn't even be possible, and I'm so excited about it. The music is on a website that's going to launch on um, over the weekend called thewheelhousecafe.com. So even if you don't buy the book, you will be able to go to it, and you'll be able to hear the songs. Uh. For me, that's what I'm wanting. I want more people to read books. And I also want more people who are interested in expressing themselves artistically to find ways to collaborate and possibly even generate income. So the idea of more writers and musicians teaming up together to um, create things together and showcase each other, you know, and and share in this way um, is really exciting to me. So what's going to happen is you can go there and you can listen to the songs. On February 1st, a crowdsourcing collaborative effort is going to launch. And what that means is the sheet music for every song will be on the website. You'll still have the songs with my husband singing them. They're very raw, unproduced recordings that are just, you know, to to mirror what it would be like if this were being done in a tugboat, okay? So Mm -hmm. it will give people kind of a blank canvas in terms of what they could be. Any genre, uh, solo artists, duets, groups, acapella, anything, you can upload, you can send me uh, your cover version. What's going to happen then is I want to promote all of these musicians. So they'll be able to have links to, you know, their own work. But when I'm on a book tour, I'm going to invite artists from musical artists to join me at book readings and events that I'm doing to, number one, hopefully get people into bookstores to read because they'll be intrigued by the music and to promote what they're doing so that they expand their audience. And I'm really couldn't be more excited about it. Um, a really good friend of mine in Nashville mentioned, I was kind of struggling with this um, mm-hmm. because producing an, a, a record, an album, just, you know, the traditional way is fine, but there was just a missing piece to me. And to me, crowdsourcing it in this collaborative way is really the essence of what we talked about earlier. It's about allowing people to connect and be heard Mm-hmm. And it really fits to me, it fits into the spirit of not just the story, but the overall goal of what I'm trying to accomplish. So my friend in Nashville said, did you ever hear of, um, you know, the, the song reader that Beck did, you know, it was a song book, and he put the, and I said, oh my gosh, what a brilliant idea, you know, to allow people to participate. So um, the songs as of, you know, maybe even tomorrow, but I think it's going to be over the weekend, um, will be live on the wheelhousecafe.com and you'll be able to, you know, listen to them and experience them. And hopefully it will, um, pique the interest of people to want to read the story to see how the two enhance each other. And tell us about the story, the adventure love story of the wheelhouse cafe. Tell us a little bit. The story is told in two voices um, in alternating chapters, and it 
for me, it was kind of an exploration of, of things that I'm curious about within the context of a relationship. You know, I kind of explored them within that. So I've always been intrigued by the classic man, woman, and the sea love triangle. You know, mm-hmm. Brandy, the song by Looking Glass is the story. You know, can a person who's given their heart to the sea and kind of created that life really give themselves and participate fully in a relationship with an, in a romantic relationship with another person is, you know, that's, and does the sea always win? Do they always go back mm-hmm. to the sea? So I had, I had that in my head of, of, you know, it's always interesting to me. Um, and the other thing is I'm very curious about how people meet. The context with, you know, the, the main characters in my novel meet at the funeral, at the wake of a mutual friend, who was lost at sea. Uh, so uh, the Captain John Raymond, the male character, and Arden McHale, the female character, they grew up in the same hometown, but they're 10 years apart, so they know of each other but don't know each other. But I'm, it's so interesting when two people meet who have a common friend, how that can accelerate their um, feeling comfortable around each other and knowing uh-huh. each other. As, you know, and also there's this context of loss and grieving. You know, they're coming together at this time. So the... The two love interests meet at this uh, wake, and soon afterward, Arden is asking the tugboat captain if he would allow a little boy, her nephew, to stow away on his tugboat to keep him safe, this eight-year-old mm-hmm. boy. So there's um, this conflict that arises where they're thrown together yet again. So first they're grieving. Now they're kind of the energy of trying to help this boy. What will happen? Will he do mm-hmm. it? Will, you know, will it work out? And the whole story takes place within a few weeks. That's another thing that really, really gets me is how some stretches in our lives, so much can happen in such a short time that when you take a step back, you almost can't believe it. You know, and there are some people who, when they read it, they thought there's no way that that this could all happen. And, and, and And most people know that it can and will say, wow, I can think back in my life to, you know, the summer of... 2001, when I, you know, all these realizations happened and I met certain people, I wanted to kind of examine a cross-section in in the lives of two people and how does that affect their interaction and their ability to be vulnerable and to allow themselves to be seen and heard. Um, There's this really, there's a lot of really great nautical fodder in there. I really listened carefully to my husband as he told stories and um, I think we're going to talk about serendipity a little later, but, like, I had a completely chance meeting with the tugboat captain that taught my husband how to be a tugboat captain when mm-hmm. I was editing the manuscript in Montauk. We randomly met, and oh it, was, it blew my mind. It was unbelievable, and I got to meet him. Um, his name is Captain Richard Bates, and I interviewed, and I, you know, I interviewed. We had a conversation. So listening to people talk about what their lives are like at sea and uh, just things that they take for granted even in their, you know, their vernacular and just their experiences. One being there's um, something called Texas chicken. In the Houston shipping channel, it's so narrow that when these large ships are heading, one's heading, you know, into port and the other out, they get so close to each other that they can see each other, the captains, and they signal to each other which way the other will go. And by oh the, through the law of physics, a wall of water keeps them apart 
they're so close, but it's just trusting that that wall, that wall of water is going to prevent, you know, an accident. And really it's remarkable how infrequently there are any accidents. It's, it's really something. And I use that as a metaphor for getting close to someone, mm-hmm. how, you know, you're heading, you know, closer and closer and you can feel the pull of each other, but it's that trusting that you're going to be able to get close enough, but still be safe and still be able to maintain your identity and trust and all of these things, because there's going to be that, you know, that's what love does is it surrounds you in, um, you're, you're safe. You're okay. You can get close and you don't have to worry about colliding and, you know, um, being smashed to bits. So I use a lot of nautical, um, things to illustrate their love story. And also, I would love to mention something on the music front. It's not like a musical where people burst into song. Mm-hmm. The music is interwoven into it in a way that you always know there's a song, but it's not always being sung out loud. Ah. So um, I'm interested to see once it's out how people react to that. And I also want to put out some scenes to have people compose new music. Um, That's for that cool. scene, I love that. Like I did the Great Gatsby with country music, jazz music, classical music, rap music, rock. Like I've done different soundtracks that I think go along with the Great Gatsby, and it's <laughs> fun. And I'm hoping teachers will do that with kids. Here's the catcher in the rye. What could we, you know, what what songs could we put to this? Let's make a sound. You know, let's make a songscape for the catcher in the rye. So. I want this to take on a life of its own, and it will, because as soon as it's out, you know, now, as soon as people start reading it, it's not mine anymore. And this is kind of the moment I've been waiting for, is for it to be what it's going to be, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not exactly even sure. I mean, I know the direction that I want it to start off in, but I really feel like this is going to become something that I can't even really define right now, because um, it's, you know, it's to be it's to be determined by what people bring to it. Well, that's cool. That sounds so much, is there such good energy and such a um, positive and hopeful intent. Are there moments from that, um, the love story where you drew on your own life? Uh, the I real think, life. Yeah, I think there are. There, there's, there's one in particular that, um, that uh, was kind of an eye-opener to me. Well, first of all, when I wrote the book originally, it was John Raymond's story. I wrote, it was in two voices, but it was really his story. And after uh, I had a really fantastic agent interested in representing me who ultimately didn't, but he gave me some notes that were just transformative. Like, I am eternally grateful for them. And it made me look at the book and some ways that the characters could be truer to themselves and in the one instance, it was um, a character trait that Arden has, because people will think that Captain John Raymond is my husband and Arden is me. It is not that, you mm-hmm. know, at all. But one thing that she has is I am an optimist, and I really, really um, don't just think about the bright side. I believe in it. And I know, yes, you have to feel things and there are difficulties, but that's the way I am. What what Arden does that I do is that I become that person for people, and sometimes they might need me to be. They might want more out of me than that way of being. You know, to just um, I and and with her, it takes a certain direction that I haven't gone. But I notice that about myself. How um, that part of Arden, where she really doesn't 
want to go there sometimes and wants to be the supportive person for someone um, doesn't always let the other person be real or be mm-hmm. or feel like they can be, you know. And um, so that was, an, you know, you learn so much. I know you know this as a writer about yourself when you do these things. And, you know, sometimes it's not easy. I call it that, you know, bathroom, the light in the bathroom moment because the light in the bathroom is usually very <laughs> unforgiving and bright. Okay. Um, when, you flip, when you flip it on, sometimes you're like, oh, hey, <laughs> that's me. And, you know, in that moment, though, I just try to remember it's like, what is this all about for me is I really, really want to, the more people that I can meet and say, your dream can come true anytime. You know, I thought I was going to be a novelist in my 20s and doing this certain thing, and my life has taken a very different path, and my first novel coming out when I'm 46 is, you know, later than I expected, but it's right on time. Like, what I want to do now is use this novel as a way to really help people, to help them figure out ways to express their creativity and maybe make a living doing what they love to do creatively and to inspire writers to keep going and don't stop thinking that you, you know, there are lots of ways to get your book published. Mm -hmm. There are lots of ways to connect with readers more and more. I just read about Wally Lamb's new book next year coming out as a digital app um, only. Only a digital app. Only. Yeah, it's only as a digital app. It's really, really exciting to think about all the multimedia ways to, you know, um, to integrate into expressing yourself. You know, these tools mm-hmm. that we have now that, you know, when I think of myself sitting there with that little black tape recorder with, like, ACDC back in black, like, taping that <laughs> off of WPLR in Hartford and, like, okay, you uh-huh. know, it's like fuzzy uh-huh. sound. And now what you can do is really um, – is really something. So with this collaborative songscape, I don't want to forget to mention at the I don't even know at what point because I really want to let it evolve. I want people to vote on the tracks that they would like to have made into um a record a produced uh recording and then release that on vinyl and digitally. So it will be sort of crowdsourced yet again. Like what do people want to see on this? So it'll be in many voices. And, um, you know, it's it's really exciting to me to think about just involving people in this process, you know, and having them have it, having them inform what it's going to be. It's so inclusive. Yeah, I really want it to be. You know, I'm thinking about my next project is uh, – I wasn't sure if it was going to be a novel or a screenplay, but all of a sudden I had this light bulb yesterday that I, I wanted – or the day before. I want it to be – a novel that is um, delivered in digitally in pieces, you know, chapters to people. Uh-huh. Monthly But then at the end, yeah, yeah. And then at the Let's end, um, publish. And I, I know a lot of people have, you know, other people have done that, but I really never thought about doing that and letting people contribute to it. My A, a friend of mine and I were doing um, an Instagram novel for a while, and then life got really crazy for both of us in terms of being able to maintain it. But every day one of us would write up to a certain point, kind of like that game you'd play when you were a kid, and then the next person would pick up the story. Mm -hmm. And we kept Mm -hmm. going back and forth with Instagram images attached to them. And we wanted, ultimately, people to give us some feedback, like, what do you want to see happen? You know, what what would you like this character to do? What, you know, what ideas do you have? Because I think that – I don't know, there's something about that that's really exciting to me and very energizing to, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, first of all, you know, people are reading, which is so great. And um, 
to have them give input into developing a story or a character, um, you know, is exciting to me. Well, talk about, um, you know, you had sent me some email before the show and you had mentioned seven years of serendipity. And that sounds really cool and sort of iconic, like Joseph in the Technicolor coat. Can you talk about <laughs> the seven years? Oh, yeah. So I guess um, I love the word serendipity and, ser- and, and the, word, the words serendipity and serendipitous. And I feel like they're very onomatopoeia, like serendipity just sounds like what it is. It's just like light, um, magical, connecting thing. I love it. And when when I think about how, when I wrote the book, I had a very, I don't know, I guess kind of defined thing that I thought was going to happen. I actually thought I was going to start a publishing company that was going to focus on books and music, and I was, you know, kind of exploring what that could be, and I was very, you know, pragmatic about it and this is going to happen and it's good and as it kind of evolved um through meeting different people at different times and through kind of paying attention to you know i'll use the word signs things that you know i would be at a point where i didn't really quite know what to do and then i would just kind of get an idea i let that take the lead and i think that's where you know one of the reasons why this took so long for the first two years after i wrote it i was really almost three thinking about starting this publishing company and I ultimately Mm -hmm. decided not to. Um, There were a lot of times where I got very, you know, down in the dumps about rejection. You know, for as much as an optimist as I am, it's not easy to like be reaching out to agents and, you know, trying to find that connection that's going to lead you to getting your book published. I considered publishing it on my own um, and that has still, you know, I thought about that right until I uh, connected with the the publisher I, I ended up working with, but there were moments like when I told you about meeting that tugboat captain in the bar. Mm-hmm. This agent gave me these notes, so I, I rewrote the entire book because the main note was the little boy in the book, he shouldn't be from the um, Boys and Girls Club of America. He should be related to someone by blood because then you're mm-hmm. going to have all this backstory. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea, but oh my God, the little boy comes in so early. That means this whole book needs to be redirected. Mm-hmm. So I did I did it and it was great but then I thought is it cohesive so I went to Montauk and I for 2 days just sat there and read through the whole thing to make sure when I got to Montauk Tracy I'm at the gas station and I overhear the one of the men there say they found a tugboat captain that had gone overboard and was lost at sea they a fish a Montauk fishing boat found him and he was they were actually at the docks in Montauk with the coroner and everybody right then and there. Wow. One of the notes one of the notes I had from the agent was ma- the agent was make sure the whole process of when Billy Mickelson is lost at sea, this man, how long would they look in May? What is the process? You know, is the timing of this wake does it make sense with how long they would start all those things. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was able to go there. I mean it was such a heartbreaking reality too of what that is like. I mean my it was just very, very sad yeah. to think of that. And then I went back to my hotel room and I added that in. I went to this bar called the Shagwong in uh, downtown Montauk and I was eating by myself and a fisherman sat next to me and I started talking to him about life in Montauk and fishing and that helped me with one of the characters. But all of a sudden, a friend of ours, Jay Schneiderman, came over and said, what are you doing here? We started talking. He said, oh, I, I just met this guy and he said he knows your husband and it was this Captain Richie Bates who does not live in Montauk, was out there to fish. And those moments, because I was, I'm not going to say I was ever tired. I never got tired of trying to make this happen. But I got kind of, 
uh, I would feel a little adrift. Like, should I be letting go of the Wheelhouse Cafe and do something else? Mm. Like, is it that important to have the music part of it? Because some publishers were just not into that. They, they liked it as a marketing idea, but they didn't they integrate it, like the importance of really promoting it as one thing. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it uh, went by the wayside. So when I had a moment like that, it would make me feel like, okay, this is like, this is, I'm on the right track. I need to keep going. And a recent one that happened is a friend sent me this really cool project. It's called Clock Relay, uh, C-L-O-K Relay. And it's an artist named Chris Bell created, I think it's 11 clocks, modified them so that they spell words. They have letters instead of numbers. Oh, wow. And every six months you send your clock to someone else. And then you can go on the website and you can see where all these clocks have gone. I just think it's such a cool idea. So I've had this clock in my office, and my office mate and friend, Meryl, and I, like, the clock faces her more. She'll yell out, you know, sip, or, you know, it's a word. You know, we get all excited, and it's, it's spelled so many fun, really cool words. Well, there was a day a few weeks ago where I was just feeling like, I don't know, things weren't coming together. I was having a hard time focusing, and it was, like, so close to this happening. And You know, I knew the book was coming out. I didn't know exactly when. And I walked into my office, and I just was feeling like, God, I just need to – i got to get my act together. And I had some thoughts. And I look up, Tracy, and that clock is spelling T-U-G. Tug for tugboat, Captain. Tugboat. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I had never seen that. And I thought – I just got the chills, and I thought, okay, okay. Everything's cool, <laughs> um, which I, you know, I knew all along. So things like that are fun, but I think also there are so many serendipitous meetings where I would meet someone or learn about someone at just the right time when I needed it. And so that's one thing that I want to say to any to anyone, I mean, not just artists, but to artists especially, because putting yourself out there and trying to connect and you know bring your work. Uh, to the world, serve it up to them. It can be very lonely sometimes and can seem like you're not um, making progress. It's mm-hmm. just really um, in those moments just taking a step back and giving yourself a break and also just really paying attention to just all the good around. And sometimes these things, you know, we don't even have to call them signs, just things that happen that feel good and really kind of can sustain you when um, – you know, through that whole journey and be the fuel that you need so that you can keep going mm-hmm. and not get bogged down in impatience or, dis- you know, distraction or just feeling like what you've created isn't really supposed to be shared because why isn't it happening then? If it's supposed to happen, why isn't it? So I love paying attention to those serendipitous things because um, they're everywhere. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some of them are so tiny that you wouldn't even – you know, so many people talk about everyday miracles. It's real. There are so many little moments where people go out of their way to give you, a, you know, a word of advice or, um, you know, support you or you, or to share something with you that teaches you something, sends you a link to something that opens up, you know, a whole new way of thinking that you wouldn't have even thought, you know, thought to apply. So when I'm starting to feel a little bit adrift, I really pay attention more and say, okay, look, there's so much going right here. I need to focus on that instead of these feelings of indecision and impatience that are, mm-hmm. you know, in the background. And and what is, I love that, the everyday miracles and paying attention to all the good around. But tell me, what is the clearing space for creativity, which is something you had mentioned to me, the yes compass, disconnecting oh, yeah. technology? So, 
Well, the Yes Compass is why we're talking today, because um, I went through, right after I changed direction, um, the direction of my professional life in 2008, I went through this phase of saying no to a lot of projects, because I felt like I'm such a yes person, and I really do love and immerse myself in so many different things, but I was feeling kind of tired from the inside out and thought, you know what, I just have to like reel it in, not get involved in things, even if it sounds like it's great or it'll be there if it's meant to be. I'm just going to like take time off. And I'm not saying anything against that. I mean, there's definitely a reason for that. And I think, you know, I was over adjusting for, uh, from having such a full plate, but all of a sudden I started having you know, someone would mention, do you want to get involved in this? And at my first reaction would be, no, it's going to be too much. But I would really tune in and say there'd be something about it that would just resonate. And writing for the Underground Book Review um, is one of those things. I met uh, this group of people at this pitch conference that I went to in the sit in Manhattan, and they were running this blog, and they asked me to do – I started off doing an interview or one feature, and now I'm a, you know, I, I do a few reviews and interviews a year. And I almost said no, just because I thought, I know it's not a lot, but it's, it's all about headspace. It's taken me a long time to, to figure that out. It's about your creative headspace and protecting it and mm-hmm. making sure that it's, you know, you give yourself the time and headspace you need to create. But doing it, I have met so many fantastic people, read so many books I would have never discovered on my own, you know, because they pick these um, really, really diverse uh authors and I've gotten to just know so many people and read but also um for me I learned part of cre- clearing that creative space is keeping my creative wheels greased and doing that is things like this connecting with people and writing about them and helping them by shining a spotlight on them there's something about that process for me that just makes ideas fly like when I'm doing that um, yeah, I love doing it to help other people, but it's very, it helps me because it gets mm-hmm. me energized and I'm able to write. Um, the other thing about creating, you know, clearing that creative space is um, just being conscious of the presence of technology. Mm-hmm. And I was so, uh, you know, it, it's it's very intrusive. It can be very intrusive, but I started really focusing on like how to tame it and how to have it work for me. And I actually use it creatively um, to kind of get my writing going. So during um, National Poetry Month, every day I go on Pinterest and what I just go on my feed, uh, look at what's on there from other people. I pick one image and I give myself ten minutes to write a poem. Oh, cool. And so I do that, and, uh, and I just love it. it kind of gets me going. It's that little start to the day, and then I write something else. Or um, I started using Evernote a couple of years ago. I don't know why I didn't use it before because it's an app that has completely transformed my creative life because I can capture and then access ideas that I've had. I've had mm-hmm. so many notebooks, and I still love to write, you know, with a pen and paper and pencil. But, like, when I see an article or, you know, I'd be bookmarking these things on my web browser or putting them in a Dropbox folder. But with Evernote, I've been able to really access, you know, videos, links, songs, things I've written, and it has really helped me. So I, you know, I spend time looking back at Evernote, you know, accessing Mm -hmm. it and looking at it. And that's another thing that's really helped me, like, figure out what I want to do once I clear creative space. You know, it kind of gives me um, inspiration for what to try next. Mm-hmm. So and that's, what, been, um, that's been really good. 
what program do you use for writing? Because I just started a couple months ago using Scrivener, which I am very happy about. It's an amazing program. But I had read a lot of people who participate in NaNoWriMo love Scrivener. So do you, what program do you use? Well, I read your blog post, and I put Scrivener in my Evernote because I want to try it. It, it sounds so great. I am just a regular – I write in Word. I actually have a Mac, but I, I'm not cre- – writing in pages – I think because I was on a PC for so long, I wrote in Word, so I have, you know, uh, Microsoft for Mac. I have Microsoft Word on my Mac, and I, I just write in Microsoft Word. And I, when I read about all the things that the features that Scrivener offers, it just sounds phenomenal on so many levels. So, you know, once I get through the book launch, I'm, I'm going to start give it a try because I am I just am totally enchanted with Scrivener. I can't believe how much easier and better it's made my life, but I will say it is feature rich and there's a learning curve. So I I would suggest, you know, however you learn best, immerse yourself in learning for a couple of days, otherwise you could get very discouraged. I just watched mm, okay. one video after another for like a week or 3 days and then I just I knew it. So and it's fantastic. Oh, I can't I really can't wait to try it. It sounds great. It, it really it's it's fabulous, and you could do a search on NaNoWriMo and Scrivener because that's I when I was researching Scrivener, there was a lot of comments from NaNoWriMo participants about mm-hmm. it. Well, it's a perfect example. Like I had Evernote, and it wasn't until um, we had Hurricane Irene here. I live in a village that has its own power plant, mm-hmm. so we are very lucky here. We very rarely lose power. So while many people from different storms are in the dark, I was here, had power, and all of a sudden I happened to look at my web browser and notice all these crazy bookmarks from the years of great information that I'd forgotten that I'd bookmarked. That's what got me to, to do Ever, use Evernote. And exactly what you're saying, Tracy, there is a little bit, a very little, but there is a learning curve to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. And I think in my mind, when I first looked at all the features, the reason I didn't do it, I was thinking, God, I got, that's a lot to just start really integrating the use of this into my life. And so that's how I feel about Scrivener. I remember on NaNoWriMo hearing about it and thinking, that's great, but let me just finish this, and then I'll try yep, it. Yep, and, yep. and then it wasn't top of mind anymore. So I actually book, I put it in my Evernote and read your blog post and thought, it just seems like it's taking a lot of, <clears throat> making a lot of pieces come together mm-hmm. for a writer that, you know, just they're not even offered. The features there just sound like it was created really with writers in mind to make their lives, their writing lives better. So I'm I'm looking forward to trying it out. And tell me, who has inspired you in your journey? Who has inspired me? Ugh. I think one of the most difficult things about writing my book was writing the acknowledgments because um, I'm so lucky. I grew up in a very, very small village in town, which is, and it's where I live now. Um, and I have just, really close friends throughout the country and people who have been involved in helping me read the book, edit the book, give me feedback. Um, most definitely my family. I, my daughter, Skylar, is um, a sophomore at the University of Tampa. She's almost 20. And mm-hmm. I can remember there's there are a few scenes at the Whiskey Wind in my book. It's a, um, a bar in Greenport. And I wrote the end of the book there because I really wanted to just be there when I was finishing it. And mm-hmm. I remember emailing her the last <laughs> page by page. I was emailing her. She was still in high school. And I remember it was like quarter to ten. You know, here it is. You know, it's going to be midnight, and that'll be November would be over. So I had to, like, finish mm-hmm. it. 
And I remember saying, Mom, I'm getting tired. Are you almost done? <laughs> and I was like, this is, this is exactly what I need. Just get it done. Finish it up. Um, but she has been supportive the whole way and is just great. Um, uh, my son, Justice, is 10, and we just renewed his passport recently. And when it came in the mail, he said, I'm so glad I got my passport, Mom, because we're going to travel all over the world with your book. Oh, and that that wow. kind of is just priceless. Um, my husband, Josh, as I already told you, wrote, um, you know, wrote the songs and has shared stories with me. The journey with this book has been a very interesting one with him. You know, he let me go into these log books, pick the songs, songs that he, you know, some of them were still alive for him. Some of them were just of another time. It would be like someone going back and taking my poems from, you know, when I was 21 and saying, I'm going to take these and then they're going to, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. Um, and it, it's been, a, there's been a lot going on in that creation process, but he has, um, you know, this phase of being able to crowdsource and have other people be performing his work and all of that. Um, I hope it's going to be as exciting for him when that's happening as I think it's going to be, because, mm -hmm. um, the songs are really, really very special. They're really, um, they're really special songs. And then, you know, there's my mom. I cannot even tell you. She is like, I think she's a publicist in another life because she's always writing down people's names for me to go to their book clubs, wherever she is. She's got book bags with um, the helm of a ship is, that she found, and she wants to do a window at the bookstore with my book. I mean, she has always been, like, my biggest fan and really, um, you know that thing, like, you are what you are when you believe it? Mm -hmm. I think I always knew I was going to be a writer because my mom and my sister Lynette, who's you know another huge fan and best friend, um, they oh you are a writer. You're a writer now. Mm -hmm. This is who you are. You know that's what I. They believed that in me um, forever, and then you know having that um, is it really anchors you in uh, what it really means. It doesn't mean you're a published author. It doesn't necessarily mean you're you know what you might think a definition of the writer is, but it's like inherently part of who you are. So um, I really can't wait to celebrate with everyone. You know, I have mm. so many friends. Like I think about um, my friend Jason Hefter, who's uh, a super talented writer. He's a screenwriter. And we've done all kinds of projects together. We did a, a book project, a book club that was a literary social, so you didn't have to read the book. It was mm -hmm. just to get readers together to meet. And it would be like a wedding, you know, all ages. Some people would come alone. We would have authors appear via Skype or in person or panels. It was great. But I remember the night before I sent the, you know, the, the draft to the publisher. And without even saying anything to him, he said to me, okay, you got to just let it go now. Like, mm -hmm. you, could be re you could be rewriting this for the rest of your life. Just That's do true. it. His. And, you know, like, th that little voice is in my head anyway, but having people around me who speak it out loud um, and, uh, t and tell it to you like it is, you know, that mm -hmm. there's something missing from this or you could do better. I also have to say there is nothing like a great editor. The editor that... Um, the publisher uh, signed to this project, um, Mike Slazuski. I almost cried when I read the notes. The things that he picked up on, 
Mm-hmm. And I, what, made me th- what made me think of it is there's a word that a character uses that he actually said, I don't know if Chase would use that word. And when I read that sentence, I thought, he is so in- immersed in this book. Yes, he's getting paid to be an editor, but he is paying attention so closely to the essence of these characters that he's suggesting that maybe my character wouldn't say that. That mm-hmm. was like... <laughs> That was a watershed moment for me because he was right, too. You know, he, was a, mm-hmm. he just came to it. This was his first time reading it. So a lot of times, and I know you and I talked about this before, and you have it in your fabulous book for writers about getting published, the power, the importance of a good editor. Yes. And phenomenal. how much it means to have a story be cohesive and as well told as it can be. You know, that's that's what an editor does is they, they bring it together in a way that it's it's all that it can be. Well, we only have a couple of minutes um, left. Can you summarize some of the more important points of what you've learned along the way as a creative catalyst and an author in just a minute or two? Yeah, I think I can. I mean, I think um, I just listened to a podcast with Martha Beck being interviewed um, by, I think it was called Beautiful Writers Podcast, and she talked about the more that you can stay in tune with your internal compass of what you, who you are, the more, she's called it the magic, she's like the more it happens. The more you can mm. do, the more you can create, and that, that means across your entire the landscape of your life, not just within creative choices. But when, you are, when you're aligned with who you are, that's where the stuff flows. I'm very fascinated by creative flow, by flow, the flow state, and mm-hmm. just getting in it, because that's where we can really share our gifts with others, is when we let it just come out and we're not so self-conscious about it, we're just being ourselves. And, um, you know, I read that book, uh, Flow, by Mihai Chekmihai a few years ago, and it really made me think about that in my daily life and hearing Martha Beck say, when you're aligned, then it flows through. I just want to say, like, creativity is a muscle. And mm-hmm. when you use it, it just gets stronger. Everyone. I met someone yesterday who said she doesn't have a creative bone in her body. Just, I don't even think she knew I was a writer. Everybody uh-huh. has a creative bone in their body. Um, you know, you might not be artistically creative, but as human beings, we are inherently creative. And I love the idea of just encouraging people to work those muscles and to see what happens if you just give yourself a chance to let your curiosity lead you to explore something that you've wanted to explore, to try something new, to, um, I don't know, to read a book with a a soundscape, to go to a poetry reading, to, you know, listen to a different type of music than you've ever listened to and go to a live performance, you know, whatever those, whatever those things may be. So that's what I would say is is opening up to the flow and trying new things. Mm Mm-hmm. So can you just tell uh, my listeners one more time where they can find out about you and um, where to look for your book, uh, The Wheelhouse Cafe, which I will be reading. Uh, yeah, terrific. Um, well, my you can go to my website, The Wheelhouse Cafe, and there's um, a page there that will be updated regularly with um, independent bookstores that are selling my books. I really want to sell, uh, support as many of those as possible, and it also shows you exactly how you could share with your independent your local bookseller how to get the book mm-hmm. um it'll be on it's going up on amazon now it looks like uh the ship date it says uh december 15th which is next week um so i believe the hardcover is already on there but the paperback and the ebook will follow and then you just go to the website and the wheelhousecafe.com and there's a songscape page 
It has the tracks, and also if you are a musician and you're interested in participating in the collaborative songscape, there'll be a place where you can sign up there to get all the information about that. Thank you, um, Yvonne. I I gotta cut you off. We're out of time, but thank you so much, and uh, we'll look for your book online. Oh, thanks so much, Tracy. It's been great talking with you, and I appreciate it. Okay, bye bye. Thank you. So this has been Tracy Slatten with Yvonne Liebling. Tune in next week for Victoria Pratt. Thanks again. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.